0: Welcome to Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking discussion about everyday dilemmas. Our goal here is to offer you insights and perspectives on sticky situations so you can better examine your choices and exercise your own ethical muscles. You heard it right. We don't give you all the answers. We talk about the issues, sometimes we even disagree, and then you have to decide. I'm your host, Marna Ashburn, here with wife, mother, and attorney Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman. Good morning, Kelly.
1: Hey, Marna. Hi, Mike. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody.
0: And Mike Derrick, a retired Army officer, combat vet, and father of four. Hello, Mike.
2: Hey, good morning, Marna, and good morning, Kelly, and good morning to all our listeners.
0: And welcome to both of you and our listeners. This week, we return to our earlier format of discussing three scenarios. This one is called Listener Mail because the scenarios were passed to us by our listeners. If you have a sticky situation you'd like to share, we'd love to hear it. Send it to inbox at And thank you to the listeners who shared these scenarios with us today. On to our first one. She writes, new neighbors recently moved in, two doors down. They're a couple with two young boys, and we've met them and exchanged pleasantries several times. Now that we've introduced ourselves, the wife has started taking the liberty of walking into our house without knocking. She just walks in and starts saying, hello, hello, until she finds someone. When I said to her once that I didn't hear her knock, she replied, oh, I'm from the South and we don't knock. We just walk in. That's what neighbors do. By the way, we live in the South. What should I say to her to keep her from doing this without creating bad blood between us right from the start? So, Mike, I'm going to throw it over to you first. What would you tell this listener? What advice would you give her?
2: This is pretty interesting, and this is very bold in this day and age. You know, I think this has changed a lot. Obviously, this woman, she says she's from the South. She's probably from a very rural place in the South, I'm guessing. And back in the day, kind of like where I live, in a very rural place, without cell phones, you literally would stop by and check on somebody without calling ahead, without being invited... And sometimes, you know, when people were outside or they were out in the barn or out in the garage, you'd have to go find them. And uh, that was pretty normal. But I've found over recent years that has entirely changed except with very old people who probably don't have a cell phone. So this is really weird. And, you know, I think it's an invasion of what we call personal space. Personal space can be defined different ways. But, you know, your house is certainly one of them. It's just super presumptuous, and um, so how to handle it, I guess. How important is this neighbor to you? If it's kind of just a nodding acquaintance, you know, you may come in a little stronger. If it's somebody you really want your kids to play with, maybe you do it a little softer, but, you know, you let them know that, hey, you know, we'd really appreciate it if you'd kind of knock on the door, give me a call if you're coming over. That's kind of where I'm at. This listener is concerned about creating bad blood right from the start. Well, this neighbor has overstepped her bounds.
0: I think she doesn't have a sense of boundaries at all, actually.
2: Yeah. You know, some mm-hmm. people are like that. I mean, there are folks who just don't get it. And it's, it's like it's this total blind spot. And frankly, I have found over time that for those people they're very limited socially. Eventually people stop hanging out with them. People stop inviting them over. People don't really want to talk to them when they just don't kind of possess that basic social decorum.
0: So definitely talk to her is what you're saying. And yeah, d- yeah. depending on how you want this to continue, she obviously wants to maintain good relations. So I'm mm-hmm. guessing the best mm-hmm. way would be kind and gentle request. But if, yeah. if she didn't want to, you say she could come down harder
2: And this line about I'm from the South and we don't knock, I would tell you that even within a house, if you're like, let's say you have guests or something and a door is closed, you knock. That's your own home. You give people that courtesy. You don't just like barge around. I think it's way beyond the pale. I just don't get it. It makes no sense.
0: It makes no sense and she's perfectly within her rights as a neighbor to ask that the other neighbor knock.
2: Right. Kelly,
1: what do you think? I think you gotta lock your doors <laughs> right away. I thought you might say something yeah, like that. Yeah. Lock those doors. How about, doors. Um, how about but,
2: buying a security system? And, you know, like yeah. Sure. Like yeah. a
1: ring or something and you know, you keep your screen right where you can see it so you see her coming. (laughs) No, but I I do think you have to nip this in the bud immediately. You've got to shut it down. You have to be very kind and polite, but you have to express to her that this is not acceptable and you would like her, you know, to call or text before she comes over, or in that way you can be prepared uh-huh. to see her. <clears throat> and knock um, when she yeah, gets and there. Yeah, and then knock, yeah. Because nowadays, even visiting someone's home without calling ahead of time is, is considered impolite, you know, generally speaking, right? Um, it's, it's not like, I'll say, in the old days, as Mike just described.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: as a courtesy, you really should reach out before you uh, show up at somebody's door. Now, I understand with neighbors, someone might come, over, But they should knock. I mean, I just, it's hard to understand. So I was half kidding, but half serious about locking the doors. Um, yeah, but
2: that's not the, a bad idea. <laughs>
1: but the homeowner is well within their rights to politely, you know, explain what their expectations are. I think that's perfectly fine and, and called for. Because if you don't nip this in the bud, like so many issues in life, it is just gonna, uh, it's gonna become something that's way bigger than it should be. It's going to metastasize, and you're just going to have a real issue with this neighbor. You're better off just confronting it and dealing with it. I mean, just like when you're an employer, and if you have an employee that shows up late, you don't want to sit and and, and kind of stew over it, and, you know, she she does it again, she does it again, she does it again. The minute it happens, you should go right out to her desk and say, hey, you know, Sally, the workday begins at 9 a.m., and I need you at your desk, ready to begin the day at nine a.m. And then if it happens again, you say, "Well, we spoke about you know." You just kind of continue to communicate. Yeah. And Sometimes
0: that's all it takes.
1: Yeah, and and mm-hmm. most of the time it it does. The person yeah. is like, "Oh, okay, I didn't realize this was like you know this wasn't kind of a discretionary thing, right?" Or I didn't understand <laughs> a fluid uh, <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, two more things. Saying she's from the south. <laughs> That makes no sense to me. I mean, Marna, you and I have lived in the South for many years, and Southerners are the politest people, you know, Native Southerners that you'll ever meet. And I do not believe for a minute that they would engage in this type of behavior. In fact, just the opposite. And it's almost as if she knows it's not right. Cause she's making some excuse for it and the last point i'd make and this is a little over the top but there's really a legal issue here your property is your property and it's it's trespassing for someone to enter your property without your permission uh it's criminal trespassing so wow. i'm not saying i don't i don't mean to get carried away here you know you have to you have to provide notice and some other things but it's just wrong from a legal perspective in fact breaking and entering under the law a breaking is little as pushing a door open or climbing in a window that's considered a breaking then you enter and then usually there you know obviously there has to be intent to commit a felony which she doesn't have but I'm just saying opening someone's door and walking in from a legal perspective is problematic at best
0: Yeah, and I agree
1: agree. with you. She's got boundary issues. It's
0: clear. And this is a harbinger of worse things if our listener doesn't get it under control. Question. I have often heard my friends say that their mother-in-law, for example, will just walk in their house or their apartment, open the door and walk in. Hello. Yoo-hoo. My feeling is even if you're family, you should probably knock as a courtesy. What do you guys think?
2: I totally agree. It's a good way to become that hated Um, (laughs) mother-in-law. Yeah. It really is. That's a relationship which is often fraught with difficulty to begin with. So, yeah, be on your best behavior, please. So when you go to
0: family's house, Mike, do you knock? I do. When you get there? Always. Mm -hmm.
2: Now, if I've, like, my sister lives nearby. I never stop by unless I've somehow sent her a note. And when I do, um, they have a big rambling house and three kids. So sometimes it's a little noisy, but I always call ahead. And then when I get to the door, I knock. And if I don't hear anything, then I may walk in and say, Hey, what's going on? Where are you guys? But again, they could be in the basement. They could be out in the shop. They could be in the barn. Right.
1: Kelly, family? Yeah, you absolutely have to knock or you're going to have family issues. I'm fortunate in that my mother-in-law lives far away. Thank goodness. Um, so I don't have to worry about it. I think I've talked about one of my favorite gifts from her, which was yes. the, the sweatshirt the with horse. the horse head on the front. And yes, the I'm just visualizing that. The ass on the back. Is that a
2: Lululemon so product, that, uh, Kelly? That
1: was, I think, from Goodwill. <laughs> okay.
2: And Kelly, okay. does she listen to this podcast?
1: Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> she doesn't even know it exists. Otherwise, okay. I wouldn't say that. Okay, okay. I was or gonna say, say what I'm saying. Do I need to edit this out? No, you do not need to edit it out. Oh, you can leave right. it
2: in. God, I was so worried for a minute.
0: Okay. All right. Bottom line is knock. Call ahead if you can. Definitely knock. Don't walk in people's houses. That's personal space, and that's
1: rude. Kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. But, I mean, it's amazing what people do, right?
0: Yeah, I
2: know. And it's also amazing the length people will go to, to not offend somebody you know, like, oh, I want to make a good impression with this neighbor. And um, no, great conversation, guys. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Let's go on to the second scenario here. Another listener writes, my ex-husband needed a place to live and I had an empty rental home. We worked out a deal that he could live there for reduced rent and I would pay the utilities. In exchange, he would do some upgrades and improvements around the house to get it ready to sell. What happened was he took on some large projects without discussing it with me first, like tearing out all the drywall and replacing it and building a new carport. I kept asking for the receipts for the materials, which he never sent. This has been going on for a year. He recently got a new girlfriend who has been bugging him to get paid for his labor for all this work he's been doing. Our understanding was he would do the work for free in exchange for a lower rent, and I would pay for the materials. He recently sent me a spreadsheet with $8,000 in labor costs and supplies that he wants to be reimbursed for. What should I do? And I should mention that the rental home is in one state, and our listener mentioned that she lives far away in another state, so she's not right there. What should I do? Kelly, it's kind of a legal question. What do you say?
1: Get better judgment? (laughs) I mean, the whole scenario is just crazy town. First of all, you couldn't stay married. Why would you work some crazy deal like this out? (laughs) Well, there is that. Yes, deal in quotes. (laughs) I mean, it's just—it's ridiculous. Does she have anything in writing, Marna?
0: No. I mean, I think I think uh, uh, there was a lease.
1: Okay. So you know, I would want to see the lease and understand what it says. But obviously, if you couldn't stay married. This wasn't going to work out. I don't know what the lease says. Does the lease, you know, provide for the reduced rent, the lower amount on a monthly basis? Or is it the higher amount, but then she's not requiring him to pay that? I mean, that would really matter.
0: I think Um, it's the lower amount that they agreed on. But I don't think it says anything about his responsibility for work in the lease. That's kind of nebulous.
1: So, I, I mean, that's a problem, too. It just, what a mistake. So she basically has something in writing giving him the right to live at her rental home for a reduced rent, and she has nothing in writing saying what she's supposed to get in return. So it appears to an objective court, for example, that that's what the rent is, and that's the deal. So that's a real problem. In addition, why didn't she just tell him to stop? She acts like, oh, he just kept doing things, and that wasn't our deal. She never says, stop doing the work. This isn't what I want. Stop,
0: period, stop. Yeah, yeah, send him
1: something in writing, like Mm -hmm. by certified mail. I've asked you several times, stop doing all this work. It was supposed to be limited to X, Y, and Z. It's not clear. It's almost... As if she's sort of floating along and this whole situation is sort of out of her control. And oh, my goodness. I mean, she needed to kind of exercise a heavier hand from the start. Right. (laughs) Right. And recognize this needs to be an arm's length transaction, a business transaction where everything is put in writing. The last thing I'd say is, you know, she's saying our understanding would do the work free in exchange for a lower rent, and I would pay for the materials. And so, surprise, surprise, he gets a girlfriend, and and she's annoyed with him, and he does what she wants, and she gets this big bill, and I think she should just respond and say, I'm not paying this. I never agreed to pay for labor, and mm -hmm. you did a bunch of things that I didn't consent to, and this was my property, and just leave it at that. And
0: does he have any recourse, since there's nothing in writing?
1: There are oral agreements, and he could certainly take her to court. And sue her and then the judge would have to determine what he's entitled to but if I were her I would first seek legal counsel because I don't have all the facts before me to try to like evaluate what is going on and also the jurisdiction she's in matters and the jurisdiction the property's in matters. Um, I think the law would probably be based on where the property is located. But all those issues would have to be determined by a licensed attorney in that jurisdiction. You know, my first position for her would be just to tell him, no, that 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 wasn't our agreement and, and leave it at that. But then she's got him sitting in that house. So I don't know when the rent, you know, when the lease runs out she has to protect her property. So all that would have to be discussed with an with an attorney. The right approach may be something like to be polite and but not really respond and then, you know, give him notice under the lease, get mm-hmm. him out of there, give him notice that she doesn't want the lease to renew or whatever the lease says, and then once he's out, discuss with him his request. My, you know, my initial position would be not to to give him anything and then ask him for, you know, all the underlying bills, receipts for the materials. And then she could decide what materials she consented to, what they had discussed, and reimburse him for that. She shouldn't completely stiff him. But, you know, that would be my thought.
0: Yeah, I think you touched on something here, which happens in a lot of scenarios. Two things, really. When it's family or even pseudo-family, you tend to swag the, the clarity, you know, you think it's all going to be fine, and you don't put it in writing, and you're not clear on the terms. And I think that's what happened here.
1: Yeah, and I think it's worse with family. I think yeah. you have to be more careful than you do with, you know, with a stranger or an acquaintance, for example.
0: You have to be more careful because of the dynamics with family. Yeah,
1: and the relationship, mm-hmm. and yeah. it just becomes much more
0: complex good point. Mike, what are your thoughts on this scenario?
2: Yeah, this is uh, a great example of landlord malpractice.
0: Landlord malpractice?
2: Yeah. Landlord didn't do her job. Bad judgment to begin with, as Kelly said. And then failure to follow up, just not paying attention to your property, your investment, uh, your assets. You know, what your scenario says that In exchange, he would do some upgrades and improvements and get the house ready to sell. And then the next sentence says, he began tearing out all of the drywall and replacing it. I don't know if you guys have torn out drywall and put up new drywall and mud and taped and painted and all that stuff and maybe put in new insulation, but that is by no stretch of the imagination an upgrade or an improvement to get something ready to sell. That's a major renovation. The house is, whatever room you do that in, is unli- you can't live in it during that period of time. So I think this uh, landlord really blew it in the first place by renting to an ex-husband. And then I think she didn't pay attention. I agree with Kelly. I think you end it by saying, okay, your lease is over on such and such a day. I'll cover these costs in the spreadsheet you sent me, which, you know, probably should be in line with what was orally agreed to up front and just leave it at that.
0: And there should be agreements up front.
2: Oh, absolutely, this yeah. is what we're this yeah. is what we're looking at. Here's a, in yeah. fact
0: here's a here's a honeydew list. <laughs> well here's a checklist, right.
2: Here's a specific checklist. Here's what your rent is reduced by. Here's what I expect you to do. You know, maybe here's a cap on materials. No more than twenty five hundred dollars in cost. And so and it, they
0: will be receipts sent in a timely way. Yeah. Perhaps yeah. monthly. Yeah. Can you put this in the lease, Kelly? Can you
1: put you, these? You could. These it would. It would be an unusual lease, but you could. And mm-hmm. under this scenario, she should have sought legal advice. And I think the attorney would have said, "Don't do it." And that's what mm-hmm. I would have said. I would have said, "Hey, don't do this." But if, if the client wanted to proceed, and because that is the client's decision ultimately, and we all have clients that don't listen to us, in fact, frequently. <laughs> So under the, that scenario, you would assist her with putting the lease together. And I would have some kind of addendum to the lease explaining something like the parties acknowledge and agree that the value of the monthly re- rate or the going rate, you know, is X. and But in exchange for tenant providing the following services, the rental rate is reduced. And I would just outline everything, exactly how it's going to work, exactly what He's being credited in exchange for all labor. And then how I'm going to pay for the materials. And I I would have it be that I would have to consent to it in advance if it exceeded X amount of dollars. And that it would be limited to the following tasks or improvements. And, And then I would limit it to whatever I had in mind. For example, it wouldn't have been taking out a wall and building a carport. Right, I, I didn't yeah. com- contemplate that. Right? right, right. So that's changing that's the footprint of the house.
2: That's crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it, it actually, it, it is. It's crazy. The guy may think he's really helping her out, but that's not what she wanted. And then the girlfriend comes in. People just think different things. I, I remember practicing law, and I, I shared an office with the nicest guy. He was. A great office mate he was a really good attorney he couldn't have been a better office mate and he was a real country guy and he drove a pickup truck and he would come back from court and park the pickup truck on the front lawn of our office on the front lawn the, right on the front lawn does he I walk was, into people's houses with that yeah, was he from the
2: south <laughs> kelly he I'm was. Sorry. And I was like I'm sorry. Oh that was my god comment, <laughs> oh, yes.
1: I was like oh my god Like I came back I couldn't believe it but Did he start washing it? <laughs> but he thought it was fine So that's my point Like this guy could think I'm building a cardboard I'm doing these things I'm really helping her out People have different states of mind y- Yes I did have to talk to him About parking the, the truck on the front lawn Because I was like You can't do that It doesn't look professional It looks trashy yeah. <laughs> yes, it looks like we're like the trashiest, you know, redneck lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> in this little southern virginia town (laughs) like no and his thought was that we needed the parking for clients yeah i I was Mm. like we got plenty of parking just feel free to just park in the parking well that's interesting to hear his his motives yeah i mean he was a really good guy and he thought it was perfectly fine and it was really because we came from different worlds
0: so back to our scenario lessons learned Never do this unless you lay out the terms and both parties agree to it and you put it in writing, correct? And going forward, Kelly, what is our listener? You recommend legal counsel?
1: Yes. First, I recommend generally you don't get into these types of arrangements with family, close friends, obviously ex-husbands or ex-wives. Bad idea. Yeah, Yeah. these are
0: lessons we we have to keep repeating.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, And then, you know, if you feel you must go see a lawyer. And and for her, she would want to see a lawyer in the jurisdiction where the property sits, because that's the law that would apply to that real estate.
0: That sounds like really good advice. I think that would be money well spent. All right, let's take on the third scenario. Our listener wrote, a relative borrowed an expensive kayak from me. When he returned it, he said he'd had a mishap, which required him to make a minor repair on it. No big deal. Several days later, I noticed that he had replaced another fairly major component without mentioning it. And whatever mishap that had taken place left several holes in the kayak, which now needed to be repaired. I think it's so strange that he didn't come clean about what happened and what he'd done. Should I confront him about it? Mike, you're a big water sports enthusiast. What are your thoughts on this one?
2: Well, I'm just struck by the amount of bad behavior we have out there among our listeners, or at least the bad behavior our our listeners are exposed to.
0: In their lives, yeah. And I think it's just
2: the tip of the iceberg, actually. I got three bad actors today. Okay. So what are you going to do with this guy? Well, so a relative is how your scenario is set up. A relative borrowed a piece of equipment. So, you know, that brings some things in, you know, like, is this a... A nephew borrowing it from an uncle. You know, is there an age difference? Um, are they the same? Is it a really important relationship? You don't want to. You don't want to stress. Mm-hmm.
0: For the purposes of this scenario, let's assume it's an adult relative.
2: An adult relative. So maybe mm-hmm. you're sort of peer in the family. Correct. Well, you know, it's just it's really really bad form. I, I don't know if everybody's figured this out, but kayaks with holes in them usually don't stay up. on top of the water that long. Right, that's Um, a problem. You know, (laughs) it's like having a car with two flat tires, you know. it's a deal breaker. (laughs) It's a deal breaker. (laughs) I mean, you can do a lot of things to a kayak, but holes in it? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah, even small holes. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I think it's, was it an old beater kayak that, you know, was just laying around at the back of the house and somebody never got used or Again, there's a lot of things we need to know here, but I, I think in general, really bad form on the person who borrowed it, and it really seems like they're being uh, they're being sneaky. If it's important enough, if the situation warrants, I think the relative who lent the piece of equipment should go to the one who borrowed it and said, "Hey, man, you know, I can't use my kayak, and it's going to cost me." Uh, a hundred bucks to get it, get some fiberglass patches down at the, the sports store. And then, you know, I just I'm kind of I'm not real happy about this. So I think something deserves to be said. It's really unfortunate that this happened. And the only thing I can think of is that maybe the person who borrowed it didn't know that there was a hole in it. And that if they found out, they would be mortified and say, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me fix Let me get that fixed for you.
0: Um, Right. Let me pay for it. Yeah, that would be the,
2: you know, I'm about to lend a very expensive piece of sporting equipment, i.e. my mountain bike, to my brother-in-law. He's flying up here. He's going mountain biking with some friends over in Vermont. He's going to borrow my bike. I have absolute total confidence that that bicycle will come back in equal or better condition from the way he borrowed it from me. So kind of got to weigh all that when you put, when you give your, um, give your stuff to others
0: yeah all right kelly what are your thoughts
1: yeah this is a tough situation when you bring a relative in right and it, it kind of there's a saying lend your money lose a friend maybe lend <laughs> <Yeah>. your property <laughs> lose a relative <laughs> lose your property and lose your relative <laughs> this is a tough one because we all would lend something you know to a cousin or a relative a trusted relative If she knew that this person was irresponsible or didn't take care of their own things, then shame on her for lending it. Otherwise, it's a tough situation. Honesty is the best policy. He should have been honest with her or she should have been honest with her about what occurred. No repairs should have been made to the kayak without the owner's consent. That shouldn't have happened. I don't know a lot about kayaks, but... I know there are a lot of high-performance sports equipment, and any slight change could affect the way the equipment works going forward. So he really or she really shouldn't have done anything without consulting uh, with the owner. I'm not sure what I would do in this situation if I were her. If it's a relative, I might let it go and, and not say anything and say to myself, lesson learned, I'll never lend anything to him or her again, or I'm not going to lend things to relatives and just let it go. I'm not sure it would be worth causing stir in the family. Again, that's going to depend on the relationships and, and the situation, but I would choose trying to retain my my cousin, my niece, my nephew, whatever, over fighting over the kayak. But I wouldn't lend it ever lend anything you know to that person again
0: yeah I have a feeling that's what our listeners gonna do is let it go just let it ride but speaking to the offender the relative who borrowed it I think in this show again and again we say the same thing stand up and take your licks because the cover-up is gonna be worse than the original offense this relative should have come clean right away and said, look, um,
1: whatever, the kayak fell off the truck or whatever happened and uh, there
0: was some damage, I'll pay for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, right away, they should have just made that phone call and it would have been really tough to do and say, I screwed up, I'm so sorry. This is what happened. I'm happy to take care of it. What what would you like me to do? Yeah, Yeah.
2: that's the way it should have gone.
1: Yeah, definitely it was badly handled on the part of the relative who
0: borrowed it. Okay. Last one is not exactly a scenario, really, just kind of a quick hit, and this happened in my life, so I wanted to talk to you guys about it. I recently got an invitation in the mail for an outdoor wedding, and the dress code is listed as semi-formal. Now, I don't think I've ever gotten a wedding invitation where it's listed as semi-formal, so it got me thinking, what What exactly is semi-formal? And I knew some other people who were invited, and we got into a discussion about it, and there was actually some disagreement about what is, Exactly semi-formal and what is suitable to wear to a semi-formal wedding. I just wanted to poll you two. what? What do you think is semi-formal what's appropriate?
1: Kelly, I am such the wrong person to ask this. <laughs> I am so not into This kind of thing, but I went online and I found Brides magazine And they have a very recent article which maybe we can post what is semi-formal wedding attire? It actually was updated just last week so They define it as semi-formal dress codes call for a more relaxed look than what's required at a formal black tie event. It's a way of telling guests to put on something nice without requiring them to purchase an expensive gown or rent a tux. They also, in the article, later discuss outdoor weddings and imply that it's a little even looser for an outdoor, a little bit more relaxed for an outdoor wedding. That's all I can say, Marna and Mike, because this is definitely outside <laughs> so, my... Uh, yes. But you had to look it up, way. too, right? Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah. but I will say, like, I appreciate it when they give you some direction. Otherwise, you've got the guy, as we've talked about before the show today, that shows up in the Will Ferrell t-shirt that says, If he ain't first, you're last. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I think that's what they were trying to forestall at this wedding, is to keep people from showing up and not bringing the um, you know respect to the occasion by showing up in jeans or even khakis in a t-shirt I don't know and it does say I think I read the same article Kelly it does say that this semi-ambiguous dress code of semi-formal is widely deemed the most confusing of all I right right but it
1: does avoid you know the big Will Ferrell head it does yeah it, def- <laughs> it definitely elevates it So, Mike,
0: I'm going to guess you knew what semi-formal was.
2: I do. I mean, of course, coming from a military background, it's a specific uniform. But obviously, that does not apply to a summer wedding in this situation. I think you guys are on with the idea that it's something that looks really nice. You don't necessarily need to go out and buy something. It should be something already in your wardrobe. Summer weddings, especially during the day, you can be a little, I would say a little less formal. Of course, you don't want to outshine the bride or the groom. And it's also very regional. And I've been really struck by this. I would give you the example of Hawaii. Uh, We lived there for three years. And, you know, when I first went to Hawaii and I I went to, I think it was a wake or a funeral, and I wore a dark suit with a white shirt and a muted tie, and I was the only guy that looked like that. Um, Interesting. Yeah.
0: What, what were the other guys wearing?
2: Well, it's, you know, the, in Hawaii, Jams. it's very, very different. No, they were, in, <laughs> they were in slacks and dress shoes, but most often a, a very tasteful blazer and shirt in some cases. Um, but then in Hawaii, you can wear a, a fancy Hawaiian shirt. And believe it or not, there are fancy Hawaiian shirts. That's pretty close to semi-formal in, in that setting. So anyhow, it's regional. It's a it's a slippery one, but you have to judge the situation. We say that about so many different things we talk about on this podcast.
0: Right. You know, and who, who if there's the any confusion, yeah. right, you do your research. Right, and like like we're doing, like I'm doing, and mm-hmm. and if all else fails, reach out to the host for clarification. I there mean, you go. If you're invited to the wedding, you're obviously a friend or, or family member. Mm-hmm. Just call mm-hmm. up the mother of the bride or whatever and say what you know. What exactly is appropriate here?
2: Mm-hmm. And as my mother used to always say, better to overdress than underdress.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So. My mom said that, too. <laughs> yeah. And, and this true. article says if you wear a tie, you can always take the tie off if that's too formal. Yeah.
2: I think my mother used to say that just to trick me into wearing a tie. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I like what this article that Kelly and I read in Brides Magazine said. A wedding, no matter the dress code, is still a special event that deserves an out-of-the-ordinary outfit. So Right. Right. Make, an, make an effort. Yeah. Right? For um, semi-formal, specifically men, it's a suit jacket or blazer, seasonally appropriate colors, a tie, and classic leather dress shoes. For women, bold prints, cocktail attire, or jumpsuit, chic flats, and fun accessories interestingly um my friend who is the mother of the bride did email us that the ceremony and the cocktail hour are going to be outside so wear appropriate shoes not stilettos that are going to sink in the grass <laughs> those little details you got to think about yeah <laughs> flats or blunt heels. Glad i
2: don't have to worry about that
0: <laughs> so yeah all these details you got to think about indoor outdoor whatever also i went to a, a wedding when i was married once and um it was up in the mountains and it wasn't that cold when I got dressed, but when we got up in the mountains, it was pretty cold when I got out of the car, and I turned to my husband and I said, be prepared to surrender your jacket.
2: <laughs> Always have that sweater, Marna. Always I'll have, have, that, have that
0: wrap, exactly. All right, that's going to be it for us today. Let's keep the conversation going. Send us an email, inbox at ethicsandetiquette.com, or a voicemail at our website, ethicsandetiquette.com. We have an Instagram, at ethicsetiquette, and a Facebook page, Ethics and Etiquette. If you want to support what we're doing, subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'd certainly appreciate it if you took the time to leave a positive review while you're there. Thank you to all of you who keep recommending Ethics and Etiquette to your friends and family, and thank you to our listeners who sent us the scenarios for today. For Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman and Mike Derrick, I'm Marna Ashburn, and this is Ethics and Etiquette a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. It's good to be with you, and please join us again. New episodes are posted the first and third Wednesday of every month. See you then.